No Man's Land? Yes. Um, well, it's funny that we're doing this interview right here, because if you want my personal opinion, and like I said, I'm third generation Highland Park, right about where your backyard ends over there, that's kind of as far as I would go, as far as energy goes. There's a dark cloud over that hill. We just take it for granted. Weird stuff is happening there. You just, you just get a sense of something not right, you know? The area has a history of violence supposedly going back to the 1600s. Like every time I pass this place, I think about it. I'm like, oh God, that's, you know, that's when that murder happened. You go up there during the day, it was one thing. But when you went up there at night, that was the darkest place in the world. It was almost like Highland Park had their own little Bermuda Triangle. On the east side of River Road, in that section of Middlesex County that has no name, I don't like to go there. Live from Highland Park High School in Highland Park, New Jersey, this is No Man's Land, an original podcast from WVHP Media. Episode 1, The Castle. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Ramreka, and I'm joined by... Will Schwartz. And you are listening to No Man's Land an in-depth investigation into a mysterious section of woods in central New Jersey of the same name. Located about 40 miles south of Manhattan and only a mile from Highland Park, No Man's Land has a bizarre and horrific history, replete with tales of unexplained suicide and murder, almost all of which contain elements of the supernatural. Over the next few months, we and our team of field reporters will be investigating the most infamous stories, trying to separate fact from fiction and prove once and for all whether No Man's Land is indeed infested by what many describe as an evil presence. Today we are joined by local filmmaker and Highland Park alumni, John Hume. John is spearheading the digital storytelling program here at Highland Park High School. So uh, why don't you start out by uh, telling us what No Man's Land is. Give us a brief little history. First, let me thank you for being here. It's an incredible uh, honor to be back at WVHP, you know, 27 years after I went to high school here. But um, so No Man's Land. When I first moved to this area, which was 1980-81, my mother lived at Rutgers Student Housing in Piscataway. And when you left Piscataway, there was always this sign there that said, you are now leaving the township of Piscataway, established like 1673, something like that. It was like really old. Uh, weirdly enough, it was almost a mile before you saw the sign that said, you are now entering the borough of Highland Park. The area in between was kind of like unclaimed by either town. And it became known uh, amongst people in my generation as no man's land. And it was a kind of place where people would go on late night hikes, maybe do a little uh, illicit partying. And part of what made it so fun to go out there was the woods themselves were rumored to be haunted which is why No Man's Land had been abandoned by all the surrounding townships. And if you were out there, especially at night, it was totally believable. To get a sense of what place No Man's Land holds in local lore, we reached out to a bunch of Highland Park residents, people who spent most of their lives in this area. At one time in the old days, there was a group of uh, Scottish Christians living there. They all died under mysterious circumstances. The leader, I think, hung himself, and the rest of them followed suit. The one brother, like, killed the other little brother or something like that, like, strangled him or something like that. 
The kid said his like imaginary friend told him to kill his brother. That's near the castle where it's rumored that there was a man who lived there who murdered his wife. Mr. Farmer got upset with Mrs. Farmer, uh, who was uh, accused of having an affair with somebody and there was sorcery and witchcraft and just all kinds of crazy stuff involved. Well, people talk about ghosts all the time, that the wife who was murdered is haunting the place or that the guy is haunting the place. But what we also have to stipulate when we talk about the castle is that it's not just the castle. It's the whole hill that the castle rests on that is obscured from the rest of the world. The trees and the, and the actual house itself, and there was a caretaker's cottage. It was really like a movie set for a horror movie. And as it turned out, it, it kind of was. So the castle is Merry World Castle, and it was originally built in 1924 by the Johnson & Johnson family, the company responsible for uh, band-aids and baby lotion and all that kind of stuff. Their family has a little bit of a weird history in and of itself, but um, we're here to talk about Charles Farmer, who was a wealthy industrial engineer who Johnson & Johnson sold the castle to in the 60s. Charles Farmer and his wife and three kids, they all moved in there, totally normal people. And then inexplicably, Charles Farmer shot her to death. And when they kind of arrested him and took him to the crazy house, he said it, he had done it because she was consorting with an evil spirit and practicing black magic. Oddly enough, there is very little about the murder of Barbara Farmer or Merrywold on the internet. A few old websites about haunted places or old castles in New Jersey, and the original court documents from Charles Farmer successfully appealed his conviction for homicide. We did, however, manage to track down three people who were intimately connected with the case, though in very different ways. One of my friends had come over one day, and maybe we were about, I was about seven or eight, and he said there's this great place out in the woods there. Joel Potter grew up in Highland Park in the 1950s and 60s. And we kind of snuck in one day, and it was fascinating. I mean, it didn't look like anything anywhere around here. It looked like our impression of England was. And as it turned out, when the Johnson family brought these bricks and everything over individually to build Merrywall, we didn't know it was called Merrywall then. To us, it was just this big spooky thing. Not only does he remember playing in the woods of no man's land, but he was also friends with the youngest of the three farmer children. I guess when I was nine, Bobby Farmer showed up. Little kind of toe-headed, crew-cut, blonde kid. But he was a little odd, but we befriended him. And I remember going over to the house, and it was very spooky back there. Trap doors and stairways in the house. It was like something out of like Dracula or Frankenstein. And he knew that once you went there, you wanted to go back. His parents weren't the kind to come up and give you a hug and say, hey, how you doing? They were kind of artsy, kind of quirky, just very strange. And again, the ambiance of the place was just creepy. He wasn't particularly creepy. He was a nice kid, but the whole thing was just, a, it was creepy. But again, it was a good creepy for a 10-year-old boy. Are you freaked out right now? <laughs> to talk about it, yeah, like in front of the place is a little weird. Um... Yeah, a little bit. Danielle Alario is a professional jazz singer who grew up in nearby Edison. I loved coming here as a kid because I would see like foxes play in the woods and stuff and it was just beautiful. I love to come here. Her beloved grandmother was also the nanny for the farmer family before the murder. 
he wasn't like abusive or anything in front of her. Like they seemed like a pretty normal couple. The wife I know was very sweet and loved my grandmother. They got along really well. I remember her telling me that he went out for a hike and like didn't come back for like a long period of time. Not, not like days, like he was just out like all day. She remembers being at the house with the wife, Mrs. Farmer, and they were nervous. They didn't know where he was. They were so concerned. And he came back and like, I forget if it was his hand or if it was his foot was like broken or something. He, he had injured himself like pretty badly and I guess had, had trouble like getting back to the house. After that night, he was a different person. This is the only thing that my grandmother said that like freaked her out. He would like look over at her and like when she would catch him looking at her, he would like laugh. And she she said it would like freak her out. You know, like she she didn't like he had never done that before this happened to him. He he got like weird with the kids. He would scare them or like he would and and I remember her telling me like the kids would come and complain to them and say like, oh daddy's being weird or like we don't know what he's doing. She watched this man who loved his kids and his family and was pretty much a normal guy, like kind of overnight become this creepy person. Yeah, in a town like this, a murder gets attention, yes. Michael Jarmus is a retired police officer who was a rookie for the Highland Park PD when Barbara Farmer was murdered and who played his own small role in the investigation. By the summer of 1963, it became apparent that his wife was planning to leave him, I think, for uh, someone who was a famous sculptor. And apparently he hid in a secret passage uh, next to the library, watching from a peephole. There were these passageways in the house, like, like, like in the movie Clue, like there was like hidden compartments of the house. And he snuck up behind her in one of the, I think it was like a bookcase or something like that, and shot her, shot her dead and then I think he tried to kill himself and it didn't work out. They had some reason for believing that he was not quite right and he was taken to the state hospital at Marlboro. He claimed that his wife had been consorting with evil spirits, was uh, forming a coven. Was that something the police took seriously at all? And was there any evidence that she was into that kind of thing? I do remember hearing that there was uh, something about uh, finding strange things written in Latin on the walls or, and ceilings. And there was, I think there was also some talk of there being a place that she was going to move to and for a coven that they, she was going to start in Massachusetts. I heard that there were actually buildings in that area that were supposed to be for that purpose. Uh, we found pictures from this uh, one user on Reddit who had happened to stumble across it when hiking. And we actually spoke to him. Uh, one of uh, Jemira, uh, one of our field reporters, gave him a call. Hey, um, what's your name and where are you from? Uh, my name is Mark Vince, um, and I live in uh, Suffield, Connecticut. What was the purpose of hiking on that day? Um, it was early in the like spring season. We had found some large stones that had uh, spray-painted keep out on them and I don't know. I guess curiosity got the best of us. We first came to, I guess it's like a swimming pool full of debris and some really murky kind of mud water. Well, it didn't look like uh, a recreational swimming pool. Or it looked more like something from like a zoo exhibit or maybe uh, an industrial facility. It was, it was very strange looking. The whole place has like a kind of impressive feel to it and, and just coming up uh, across you know the, this pool and this this weird tower it was definitely a, a, a an uneasy 
sense. Um, were you scared at all when you were in the building? Uh, I would say that, that I was uneasy. I wouldn't say I was scared. Um, but it was definitely, it had a, a creepy feel to it, yeah. Apparently it's owned by this one guy who shoots on sight when he sees trespassers, and we have not yet been able to come into contact with him to try to get the proper permission. We can camouflage and sneak in. You'd have to do that without me, because like, I, if we go up there, go you're rogue. my, res- you're my responsibility. Will and I can drive. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm committed that we're going to go up there. We have to. <clears throat> that we sounds... just, I'm trying to be above board about it. Did, did you or your fellow cops ever experience something weird or supernatural while being there? Uh, I never did personally, but uh, two of our guys during the investigation downstairs or in the basement somewhere, one of them said that he was shoved by something that wasn't there, and uh, his buddy who was with him said he just got a creepy, creepy feeling at uh, there's a, a room that apparently nobody's able to open in the basement. For our first trip to the castle, John and I were joined by several of our field reporters, including Liz Gervin and Ariana Samuel, who have joined us live in the studio. So the, my first question uh, for you specifically, Liz, is uh, what prior knowledge of the castle did you have? Do you know anything about it? Um, I didn't know anything until John introduced uh, us to the castle and all the folklore or whatever you want to call it around it. How about you, Ariana? All I remember is that whenever I drove past the castle with my dad or my mom, like they would try to scare me and say, oh, let's go into the castle. And like I would always like say, no, no, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. How did you feel about going out there? I'd say I was generally scared. Uh, fear of the unknown, I guess you would call it. People from Highland Park who spent their whole lives here have never been up here. This is the, I only went up here for the first time for like a couple weeks ago. After the murder, it was purchased by the Kaplan family, and now it is the base for their real estate office. We're, we're, we don't want to tell them that this land that they're trying to make tons and tons of money on is possessed by an evil spirit. So um, we're just there to talk about the castle. It was really weird. They had these very realistic statues that I actually thought were actual people until I noticed that they weren't moving, and those freaked myself out. There's another lady just hiding in the woods. Who thought that those would be a good idea? (laughs) Now, could you describe the castle physically to someone who has never been there? I'd say it's like a huge building, brown, old stone. It resembles almost like a medieval times castle. Well, it was absolutely pouring. And I remember we stopped some construction worker, I think it was. And he told us a story about his friend named Rob, who was working in the basement one night. Rob was there alone. He had his back up against the wall, working on the furnace. And something pushed him onto the ground. I just got the phone with him. He will never go back to the basement again. How long ago was that? Uh, Maybe eight years ago. He said, Frank, I'm working on the furnace. My back's up against the wall. There's nobody to the left and right. He pushes him on the ground. Did he go running out of there? Oh, yeah. He ran right out of there. Never went back. This space right here was original, and we built an addition for the offices. I'll take you through there to Jason's office. No problem. So the Kaplan family has been very accommodating to us. There's Amy, the daughter, 
Jason, the son, they showed us around. So welcome. That, this yes. is the new section. Come on. Right, right, right. So yeah, this is less exciting. I mean, when we first walked in, the walls were completely white and they had like candies you could eat. And I, I was like, this is just so weird that the outside is like gray, dark. It was gloomy, rainy. You walk in, it's like a doctor's office or real estate office in this case. I remember one room had like a fireplace and these carvings on the walls. And then you walk into the next room, it's like, oh, here's someone's office and here's a printer. Dad, what was this room? This was the library. This is the library? Okay. So the building was actually built during prohibitions where they didn't allow alcohol. You couldn't buy it, you couldn't do it. So Johnson's, I guess, had access to it. So what they did is they kept a secret little wet bar back here. So this flips open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. So it's, now it's just a little... Like a little... Oh, that is wild. They showed us a speakeasy where you just pull out a fake compartment in the wall and you'll all of a sudden there's a bar behind it with drinks and a little area to hang out in. There was also just Latin and carved all around the ceiling. Does anybody speak Latin? No. Yeah. I mean, I never had it translated. I don't speak Latin very much, but I know a few words and one of them was death. Charlie Farmer was a engineer who had come from Hungary. He was the cuckoo and hot-headed and there's Mr. Kaplan. Uh, he was very welcoming. He had plenty of stories to tell us. Mrs. Farmer and her lawyer were here, and she was shot right here. And the story goes that the lawyer jumped out the window. So why don't you tell us about that little joke he played on you? <laughs> the joke, I was standing in the spot that the murder happened. That I, I'd be afraid to stand in this spot because... <laughs> <laughs> Because Mr. Yeah. Farmer came down the staircase and he shot his wife right here. Stop. <laughs> this is the spot? This is the spot. I, just, I didn't know what to feel, so I just started laughing, and then I was like, wait, no. So is it true that he came out of there to kill her, like surprise yes. her? Yes. What do you think was the scariest part of the trip to the castle? When we went up the secret stairway that we tried to fit down, it was really skinny. And this is like that little secret staircase. You can, if you want to walk down it, be my guest. I'm not going in there. <laughs> and just looking at the door, it was some guy's office, and then you open a door and boom, you're in the spiral staircase. And it's like, that's just, this is a castle. Now, are there, are there any really horrible stories about this staircase other than the murder? Is this the staircase? I think this is the staircase. This is the stairway. Where's the people? Oh, they covered up the people. Oh, it keeps going down, too. Oh, my. So this door is where he must have popped out. This is where he popped out to kill his wife. Yeah. Whoa, it's pretty dark down here. Oh, my gosh. Where does this lead to? I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out soon enough. This is nuts. Is there a door there? There's, there's two doors. There's one that leads. This is the one that leads to the basement, and then this one... There's a door but no knob. There's a... Oh my god, that's not okay. Uh, I can't see anything. There's two doors next to each other, but they don't have doorknobs. Yeah. <laughs> We're probably better off not knowing what's behind there. You laugh. You'll be here late at night and it'll be dark. And you'll hear things go bump at night. <laughs> and that's when you roll out of here in a run. <laughs> Do you get scared when those kind of things happen? It gets a little creepy. Yeah. What about the basement? How'd that feel? <laughs> that was one of the worst parts too. Yeah, but I was even too chicken to come. We would never come down here. That's right. way scary. Right. If there yeah, were ghosts, they were, li they like were definitely little, living like, down here. Like yeah, there's a no. really creepy room over there where I know that they probably like kept someone captive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Slides of the lambs in there. Yeah, total silence <laughs> of the lambs.
Nothing good happened in that <laughs> I don't like basements at all. And just seeing, like, going into a basement of that building with someone who died there, got shot, that was really scary. Yeah, I don't scare easily, but that basement scared the life out of me. <laughs> is I hear right that the lawyer is supposedly jumped through the window still alive? Yeah, the guy from Alliance. Is he, is he still alive? Or he... The only witness to the murder of Barbara Farmer was the now-retired Judge Douglas Haig, who our field reporter, Jess Dresch, managed to track down in his home in Monroe Township. Judge Haig was Barbara Farmer's lawyer. She was actually in the room when it happened. Well, when I knew her, she had already had what I think was an affair with Waylon Gregory, who was a very rec well-recognized artist. So I said worked in terracotta and did the, the facade on the Washington, D.C. post office. I think they were deeply emotionally involved. I think I was out in Massachusetts at some place as part of this investigation that we did. She was one of five or six well-known women who were uh, students of Waylon Gregory. I wouldn't call them acolytes, but they were uh, very respectful of him. Daniela Lario. I remember my grandmother saying the stuff that he was making was almost like demonic. And again, I have a very like typical Italian grandmother. She's like, doesn't speak a lot of English and she wears all these saints medals and stuff like that. So sometimes, I don't know, but she said it was very demonic. She didn't like going near them or seeing them. And the sculptor himself was creepy guy too. And at some point in time, I was there um, at that lovely Alistair mansion, like, whatever you're gonna call it. And the first time I was there, Mr. Farmer, he's the lovely, the soul of Hungarian European Nobility, very charming. He was just a nice person. He came back the next week, he was a totally different person. Hostile. He was like a Jekyll and Hyde. And I was there to help Mrs. Farmer pick up some clothes or something like that. And we're walking up the spiral staircase in that lovely house, and he's crowding me with his hand in his pocket. And the next thing I knew is he said, I can't take this anymore. He started, he took out the gun, he started to shoot. First shot, keyhole off the floor. And I thought, uh, that melodramatic son of a bitch, he's shooting blanks. And she didn't react as if she was hurt at all. And um, so what happens, he shot two or three more times, and he, he might have hit her with a ricocheting shot, which went into her calf. She said, that crazy son of a bitch. But she was still standing. And then he shot himself in the shoulder underneath the clavicle and blue flame came out the other side. I said, oh my, this guy's really shooting bullets. He carefully laid down and put the gun on the side. I thought that, that I should not touch anything, which was the biggest mistake I ever made. I ran down the stairs, it was three quarters of the way downstairs, I heard another shot. So I ran back upstairs. This time she was um, gurgling and I could see a bloody handprint up against the wall and it's called medically stertorious bleeding. I knew she was bubbling out and that she had been lung shot. I, I deeply regret not, not um, taking the gun. Comes back and haunts me on occasion. Like in your recall, it sounds like you were relatively calm during the moment. As I I did see uh, the mortuary pictures of her. Um, and that saddened me. And I'll always see those pictures. And I feel that uh, that she would have lived a, uh, a good life if I hadn't picked up that gun. So, yeah, I'm sad about that. What do you say to the legends that say the castle and the land it's built on are haunted by ghosts or an evil spirit? I'm not so sure anymore. 
I mean, I think that uh, there may be something to the occult. Why did you want to take a second trip to the castle? Well, because one of our teachers, Miss Krubsky, had a friend who's a medium who said she could tell us if the castle was truly haunted. And being that we just found out the murder didn't take place where everyone thought it did, we thought it would be an interesting test of whether she really could tell where Barbara Farmer died. Hi guys, how Hi. are you? Introduce I'm Mark. Guys. Hi Mark, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. These are our... Hi Alifa. Hi Alifa, how are you? Right off the bat, she seemed very eccentric. She was wearing a shirt that said... Straight up New Jersey straight medium. Straight up New Jersey medium. What a spirit is, is that they've crossed over into the light. A ghost hasn't crossed over into the light. A lot of times they don't want to cross over because they don't want to take responsibility for things that they did. Or it could have been a way that they passed away and they weren't ready to go yet. You see them as real I as you see I see them us. as real as I see you guys. They're not as solid, but also sometimes spirit comes to me just in light. And I hear what they want to say. Well, don't give me the background of the murder. I want to feel if okay. I can get it. Okay. Honestly, I wasn't impressed at first glance. She would do some things with her hands, like draw in the air and massage her temples when she was supposedly in contact with the spirits. And to a bunch of people, it would look like it's a load of baloney. She hasn't crossed over, and either has the guy. So they're both in here. The woman's energy, you know what? She's not as... Hostile as he is, he honestly thinks like she wanted to kill him or put a curse on him. He really thought that she was trying to um, kill him. How do you think the Kaplan family uh, felt about the medium? I think they were very interested to see what she had to say, but I don't think they were particularly buying it. Do you guys know anything about her either doing witchcraft or something to that effect, because I'm, what I'm seeing, this is what I'm seeing, guys. Yeah. I'm seeing like one of those bowls, okay? And I'm seeing like she's she's grinding stuff up. But then she told us something that supposedly she heard from the spirits about the murder that nobody else could have possibly known. There was a lot of fighting in here. Right. A lot of screaming, a lot of yelling, a lot of, I feel, pushing. But I don't believe anybody was shot in here. The original report was that Farmer came out and shot from the secret passageway, but we had learned in an interview with the lawyer, who's now Judge Haig, that it actually wasn't in that room. He, right here. He's, he's insistent that it took place in the bedroom because he came it's, in. The reason that, I feel right here. Yeah, this was, I think this was the bedroom with the fireplace. I don't know what that room in the corner was. Yeah. Um, no, this is definitely where, is where it room. happened at. Because well, I was thinking we were going to catch her. I thought yeah. she was going to say the murder was here. Like she had just done research a little bit beforehand and was just pulling our strings. But then when she said that, I was like, oh, wait, hold up. Like, unless she plays poker with Judge Haig on Tuesday nights and they talk about the murder, mm -hmm. they, she couldn't have possibly known that. And took us right to the spot where the bedroom used to be, which is now like a real estate cubicle. It happened We'll get here. to the basement. That's where the worker says he was pushed. Now that guy's following me. Do you feel any le any level of negative energy around the area? It's not negative. It's just very sad. As for did he want to hurt that person when he pushed them? No. He wanted to say, hey, I'm here. So it was Farmer who pushed the guy? It was Farmer that pushed the guy. This is where he stays. This is where he stays? This is where he stays. There's four energies here. There's just not two. Or Marilyn, something like that. I believe she went missing. 
and I do believe it must have been around 1982. 1982. We got, I'm gonna look that up about someone missing around here. Her name was Marilyn. I know that might not be something that you guys know about, but that's what I'm hearing. So she was murdered back there and her body was carried. I feel she was murdered back there and it was carried out. Who do you think she was murdered by? Then it was like a boyfriend. Or maybe, forgive me, but maybe even a one night stand. Um, but I do believe there was another woman that was here as well. Do you know how she was killed? I feel she was in a car accident over in that area. Yeah, I just feel the energy. Okay, so that was quite before, the experience. what was your take on that? Me? Yes. Field reporter Alifa Azim. It was kind of creepy, but when we walked to the basement, my left leg started hurting. Wait, I have a question. Uh -huh. Like in there, my leg started hurting and now it doesn't? Yeah, that was her. She was trying to do something to me? Not trying to do something. She just wanted you to feel how she felt. Pain? Yep. She was shot in the leg. Left yeah. leg? Uh-huh. Do you believe that she was seeing what she was seeing and what she, you know, what she was saying? Kind of. Like some of the things, we didn't even tell her anything. And she knew right off the bat. Well, you could see the guy that was upstairs who worked there. It's like, no, the murder took place down in the library on the first floor. Yeah. Everybody has always said it took place down there. And she was like, this isn't where it happened. They were sticking to the story that it was in the first floor while I'm on the phone with the guy who says, no, it was in the second floor bedroom. I was there. So that, that gave me pause. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Do you think they're bad or good? I think so. they're good. Oh, oh let, let me clarify. There's a lot of good spirit, but when there's good, there's also bad. Well, there was a period of time where you kind of walked off on your own to like do all your first little exploration of the woods of no man's land. Do you remember that? I do remember that. Walking through it, you get a bad feeling like you're being watched or that something bad had happened there. What's over there? There's one area where the trees have fallen and it's just like a clearing and it's like something out of a horror movie. Do you believe in the supernatural at all? I'm Trinidadian and in Trinidad, everyone there believes in the supernatural. We have a bunch of folklore and spirits and whatnot. So I was brought up to uh, believe in that. But also I like to believe in science. So I mostly tell people, no, I don't believe in that. But then there's always the creeping suspicion in my mind when I hear a floorboard creak or a light go out that there's a ghost nearby. My one concern, and this has always been my number one concern, let's theoretically say that there is a evil spirit that somehow lurks in no man's land. Did you now, by walking into the woods, call attention to ourselves? Well, I haven't thought about it that way, but... <laughs> like, obviously, it would be better for us creatively. This is what always pissed me off about paranormal activity, right? Where they have a video of a little girl being lifted up by an invisible hand by her hair. And they're like, oh my God. And I'm like, that wouldn't be what I would be like. I'd be like, whoa. Let's go to TV. I've got a million-dollar tape on my head. Exactly. Anybody who's got proof of the supernatural is rich beyond their wildest dreams. So that's good. But of course, if it kills you first, then not so, not so good. Not so good. So, after you left, would you say that you felt like it was haunted from your experience? Without there? a doubt. I've spent a, probably a good portion of my childhood and teenage years looking into the paranormal. Uh, in my experiences, that certainly felt like it was haunted. Coming up this season on No Man's Land.
I did talk to my grandmother again, and she's like, don't talk to those kids about, I was like, I'm going to go talk to the kids in the high school about it. And she's like, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think you should talk about this. I don't think you should even bring it up. She felt like whatever the evil that was responsible for all this horror that's taking place in no man's land has been asleep for a long time. We can wake him up. And that's that's the danger. I was wondering what that was. He was blood. He was blood. I didn't see it. He was, it was no. nothing. He just started bleeding out of nowhere. And it was not that's a little weird. After that night, he, he, it's almost like he was possessed or something. He'd written all this strange graffiti all over. It was kind of a strange language that nobody could decipher. And uh, that was almost as, as chilling as the blood on the scene. Uh, that one stayed with me, yeah. It's the kind of thing that tells me that evil does exist and you want to stay away from it. No Man's Land is recorded at Highland Park High School by Will Schwartz and produced by Will Schwartz, Mark Remreca, and John Hume. Sound designed and mixed by Carmen Borgia. Original score by Kevin Wiggins. Our theme song is Inventions by Maserati, and our end credit music is Werewolf by Cat Power. Special thanks to Adam Gold, the Kaplan family, Judge Barney Hoffman, Nicole Krupski, Ricky Kaczynski, and all the people who shared their stories with us. To see photos of the castle, the Berkshires Black Magic Colony, and a complete list of credits, visit humeproductions.com.